Thank you, Dino, and good day and welcome everyone to the second quarter 2020 presentation for Flex LNG. My name is Eustein M. Kaliklev, and I'm the CEO of Flex LNG Management, and I will be joined today by our CFO, Harald Gurvin, and we will guide you to, through today's presentation. Uh, a replay of this presentation will also be available at our website, flexlng.com. So, first a disclaimer with regards to, among others, forward-looking statements and completeness of detail. The full disclaimer is available in the presentation, and we recommend that the presentation is read together with the interim financial report, as well as our 20th annual report. So, the highlights. The spot market for LNG shipping has stayed weak over the spring and summer due to the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. A general weak spot market over the summer is not really surprising, and something which we also highlighted in our Q1 presentation in May, as well as or in, in our market webinar in early July. When we presented our numbers in May, we disclosed the fact that we had booked 97% of uh, Q2 days at time charter equivalent earnings, or TCE, of close to 50,000 per day. Earnings on the remaining 3% have been on the soft side, so we are therefore delivering a TC of $47,000 per day, which is, however, in line with our current cashback-even levels. Our cashback-even level is, however, expected to be reduced a bit when we are scaling our business with the remaining new buildings, with, which on average also have slightly lower financing costs. In Q1, we achieved a TC of $68,000 per day, for our fleet, so the average TC for the first half of the year was $57,000. This is a trading result which we are reasonably satisfied with, given the very challenging market environment. Notwithstanding the obstacles posed by the novel coronavirus outbreak, we have managed to operate our ships with 100% uptime and availability. We are pleased that cargoes have been delivered without disruptions or delays to our customers. Furthermore, we have mobilized our new buildings for delivery as planned. Flex Aurora was delivered end of July, while Flex Artemis was delivered on Monday, actually two weeks ahead of her contractual schedule. Crew rotations have been made particularly difficult for the shipping industry, resulting in a lot of seafarers being effectively stranded on ships. We are, however, pleased that we, on average, have been able to carry out two crew changes per ship in this difficult period, thus minimizing extended stay for our seafarers. So again, we would like to convey our gratitude to our seafarers and onshore personnel for delivering first-class operational performance, also in trying times for everyone involved. In terms of financials, we deliver a slight adjusted loss of $700,000 for the quarter, or an adjusted loss of about one cent per share. This compares to an adjusted net income of $9.3 million in the first quarter, or 17 cents per share. Thus, during first half of the year, we delivered adjusted net income of $8.6 million, translating into 16 cents per share. When it comes to financing, we are pleased that we have put in place 920 million of attractive long-term financing for seven new buildings for delivery in second half of 2020 and first half of 2021. Five ships, including Flex Aurora and Flex Artemis, just recently delivered, 
will be financed under the 629 million ECA, ECA facility, which we recently increased to a 639 million facility, as we were able to add the 10 million accordion tranche for the Flex Artemis, as she is employed under a long-term charter with a subsidiary of Gunvor. For the remaining two new buildings, Flex Amber and Flex Volunteer, we announced 281 million of financing through a sale leaseback and a bank loan, respectively, in our May presentations. This financing was subject to final documentation, and this financing have now been signed and executed in June, according to plan. Hence, 98% of our remaining capex is covered by long-term debt. The remaining 17 million of capex we can easily finance by our cash at hand, which stood at 116 million at quarter end. We also believe we will be starting to generate positive cash flow again in the fourth quarter, which we could utilize for this purpose. Having all ships financed long term with no maturities before second half of 2024, as well as having a very comfortable cash position, puts us in a very strong financial position. As we have previously announced, we have been active securing contract coverage for our 2020 new bills. In order to not be too overly exposed to fluctuations and gyrations in the spot market. Hence, Flex Aurora, Flex Amber and Flex Resolute have all been fixed out on TCPs with periods ranging from 8 up to 12 months. Flex Artemis is already committed on a long-term charter with Gunvor, as explained earlier. With more ships on the water in third quarter, we expect our revenues to continue to grow. Although freight rates are now finally improving ahead of autumn, these rates are typically for voyages in September or October. Hence, we are guiding similar TCE numbers for third quarter as numbers are also being slightly dragged down by the fact that we have certain positioning and mobilization costs for the three or possibly four ships for delivery in third quarter. When it comes to dividend, which we all like, we have to ask for some patience from our shareholders. Right now, the world is facing its sharpest decline in economic activity and energy demand since the Great Depression. In this period of time, and given the state of the LNG shipping market during second and third quarter, we think it's rather in the best interest of our shareholders that we continue to preserve cash for the time being. That said, we will continue to be our shareholder-oriented company as our affiliated companies, Frontline, Golden Ocean, and SFL have evidence both in the past as well as yesterday with the 66 consecutive quarterly dividends paid by SFL. So, uh, before handing over to Harald for a financial review, I will just summarize our fleet composition. As of today, we have three ships on fixed TCs. This is Flex Ranger, which commenced a new TC with Spanish utility Endesa at end of May. During July, ship management for Flex Ranger was transferred to Flex LNG fleet management, and we thus have all our ships under in-house management. In addition, Flex Aurora and Flex Resolute have been fixed on shorter-term TCs of 8 and 11 months, respectively. These TCs also have a fixed rate higher structure, and these TCPs commence subsequent to deliveries from Yard. We have in total four ships currently operating under variable higher TCs. This provides us with what uh, could be described as utilization insurance, while we keep exposure to the overall freight market. 
the ships serving these types of contracts are Flex Enterprise, Flex Rainbow, and Flex Artemis, which was recently delivered under a long-term variable TC to Gunvor. Flex Amber will also be operating under a variable TC once she is delivered, either end of September or October. Three of our ships are operating in the spot market, Flex Endeavor, Flex Constellation, and Flex Courageous. So with these ships, we are fully exposed to the ups and downs in the spot market for good or bad. With our contract portfolio, our industry low cashback even levels, our very strong financial position, and the fact that our fleet consists entirely of brand new efficient LNG carriers, which are generally sought after by charters, this is certainly a risk we can manage. Lastly, we have three remaining unfixed new buildings, being Flex Freedom, Flex Volunteer, and Flex Vigilant, which we market towards potential clients now. All in all, we think this gives us a balanced contract mix where we are keeping exposure to the overall freight market while also ensuring an adequate level of utilization and fixed earnings for our fleet. For Q3, we are now 94% fully booked, and we also have a fairly high level of income secured for Q4, also with seven ships serving fixed or variable TCs in this <coughs> So I will hand it over then to Harald for our financial review. Thank you, Einstein. Looking at the income statement, revenues for the quarter came in at 25.8 million, down from 38.2 million in the previous quarter. Revenues in the quarter were affected by the fallout caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, which has resulted in lower gas demand and thus impacting freight demand. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was 17.4 million, down from 27.8 million in the previous quarter. The result for the quarter includes a non-cash unrealized loss on interest rate swap of approximately 6.2 million. At quarter end, we had entered into interest rate swaps totaling 610 million at an average interest rate of approximately 1.3%, and the non-cash mark-to-market loss was the result of the continued fall in long-term interest rates during the quarter. All our interest rate swaps relate to financing agreements, and we are not required to post any cash collateral under agreements when the mark-to-market is negative. We also recorded a non-cash foreign exchange gain on cash deposits held in Norwegian Crowner of 700,000 in the quarter due to a strengthening of the Norwegian Crowner against the US dollar in the quarter. Net loss for the quarter was 6.7 million, and adjusted for the above items, the adjusted net loss was 700,000 or one cent per share. Then moving on to our balance sheet as per June 30th. We had a solid liquidity of 116 million per quarter end, down from 120.8 billion in the previous quarter. The time charge equivalent rate achieved for the quarter is around our cash break even rate. And a reduction in cash is primarily due to an increase in working capital of 4.3 million in the quarter. As mentioned, we do not have any restricted cash relating to our interest rate swaps, and the very limited restricted cash of $70,000 relates to mandatory deposits required by tax authorities. Our assets at quarter end consisted of six vessels on the water with an aggregate book value of 1.1 billion. In addition, we have booked the vessel purchase prepayments of 349 million relating to the seven new buildings still to be delivered at quarter end, which represents the advance payment on these. Total debt at quarter end was 762 million, 
of which approximately 36 million is due over the next 12 months and thus classified as current liabilities. Total equity as per quarter end was 812 million, giving a strong equity ratio of 50%. As I mentioned, we have now secured attractive financing for all our vessels, including the seven new buildings still to be delivered at quarter end. In June, we signed two financing agreements announced in the previous quarter. The first is a 156 million 10-year sale and leaseback transaction with an Asian-based leasing house for the new building Flex Amber, which is scheduled for delivery in September or October this year. The transaction is priced at LIBOR plus a margin of 3.2% per annum and has an 18-year repayment profile. We will have annual repurchase options commencing on the first anniversary, and there is a purchase obligation at the end of the 10-year lease period of 69.5 million. The second facility is the 125 million term loan and revolving credit facility for the financing of Flex Volunteer, which is scheduled for delivery in the first quarter of 2021. The five-year facility has a repayment profile of 20 years, in line with our other bank facilities, and will be split into a 100 million term loan and a 25 million revolving facility. We have already entered into interest rate swaps for the full amount of the facility, giving an attractive all-in pricing, including margin of 3.3% per annum. In July, we also agreed a 10 million accordion increase for FlexAutomy under the 629 million ECA facility based on the long-term charter for the vessel with Gunvor. The vessel was delivered Monday this week, whereby the 135.8 million tranche was drawn. Post-quarter end, we also utilized the swap option under the 629 million ECA facility to replace Flex Amber with the sister vessel Flex Vigilant which is the final of our new buildings scheduled for delivery in the second quarter of 2021. With 920 million in debt secured for the new buildings, the net unfunded capex is less than 20 million versus 160 million in cash at quarter end. Following these transactions, we will have a very comfortable debt maturity profile, with the first maturity due in July 2024. The staggered debt maturity profile also get, mitigates refinancing risks. And with that, I hand the word back to Øystein, who will give an update on the market. Okay, thanks, Harald. <clears throat> so, let's uh, start by doing a quick recap and review of the spot market uh, for LNG shipping. 2020 has followed the usual seasonal pattern, but ra- rates weakened during February as the warm winter and the COVID-19 outbreak softened sentiment considerably. We actually had a short rally in March as China dealt what was perceived at the time as swiftly with the outbreak. However, as ramification of the outbreak became more evident with lockdowns implemented throughout the world, the market fell back again in April and has stayed weak during the spring and summer months. Headline rates for modern two-stroke tonnage fell from 55 to 60,000 in March to around 35 to 40,000 per day in April, where they have stayed until early August. However, where we have experienced the biggest change in Q2 has been in relation to the ballast bonus sentiment. During Q1, ballast bonus sentiment was ranging between full ballast bonus, i.e. fuel and higher back to hub, to even round-trip economics, i.e. where you get ballast bonus from hub to hub or back to load port. During Q2, we have seen below full ballast bonus sentiment with a lot of voyages being done at one-way economics of fuel back to hub. 
This means achieved TCE have been well below headline rates in the spot market. We do, however, now see improved sentiment in the spot market. During August, headline rates have recovered to the 50,000 level, with sentiment turning bullish. Malas bonus conditions are where we see the sharpest change in sentiment. Atlantic is now back at full round-trip economics, while Pacific have recovered to full Malas bonus to hub, with sentiment firming towards better economics for owners. Looking forward, we do expect the rates to follow the normal seasonal pattern with higher rates during the winter season. That said, arbitrage economics are mostly likely, most likely not sufficient this year to support the blowout rate in rates that we saw in 2019 and more so in 2018. So, uh, next slide we are illustrating the development in gas prices. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, we already have had very low seasonal gas prices due to the two warm winters in a row and generally weak Asian demand due to uh, economic slowdown. European buyers came to the rescue in 2019, gobbling up around 90% of the about 35 million tons of new supply coming online last year. However, with another warm winter, we already had a supply overhang, and this was further amplified with the lockdowns and reduced economic activity following the outbreak. Thus, we have seen record low gas prices during the summer, with European gas for some time actually trading below a buck per million BTU. Asian spot prices have for short periods also been trading below two bucks, and the Henry Hub hit 20-year, one-year low in June with $1.40. We have, however, seen a rally in LNG prices lately, and JKM is now above pre-COVID-19 levels, with a price assessed by Platts yesterday of $4.2 per million BTU, while LNG prices in Northwest Europe have recovered to $3.8, which is the highest level since January 3rd. Following the coronavirus outbreak, we also saw an oil price crash in March, with West Texas Intermediate Oil uh, price benchmark at one time trading below zero, while Brent traded down to around 20 bucks per barrel. In contrast to LNG, however, we have seen sharp production cuts for oil, with expected 2020 production now being about 8% lower than 2019, following the big 9.7 million barrel per day cut by OPEC and Russia, as well as somewhat lower output in the US. This has stabilized oil prices, which rather quickly bounced back to the $40 range. The oil price determines the price of about 70% of the LNG sold through pricing formulas, typically with about six months delay. So we will also see large volatility in these contract prices with currently low contract prices before these bounce back in delayed tandem with oil price recovery. While the supercontango in oil quickly evaporated, with the recovery in the spot prices, uh, resulting in oil-linked LNG prices now flatlining once recalibrated. Spot LNG prices, however, continues to be in contango. Spot LNG prices are in fairly strong contango as prices are expected to recover and gradually converge to more sustainable prices as product markets is expected to become tighter in the coming years as act economic activity resumes. So let's consider Europe 
As I mentioned, we have seen record low gas prices, and paradoxically, the lowest prices have been recorded in Europe, despite the, this region being a major LNG importer, taking about 25% of the global volumes. The reason for this peculiarity is the fact that Europe has ample import and storage capacity and thus can act as the buyer of last resort, benefiting European consumers. We saw this in 2019, as mentioned, but we have also seen European buyers being extremely active during the spring, buying LNG fist over hand for storage injection. The recovery in carbon prices in Europe has also incentivized this hoarding as LNG is much cheaper than burning coal. So despite energy demand in the EU expected to decline about 10% in 2020 due to the lockdowns, we do definitely see that cheap gas is pushing out both pipeline gas imports, which were significantly down in the first half of the year, but even more so with coal, facing existential threats in Europe from cheap gas and pricey carbon permits. In June, UK broke another new record with 67 days, 22 hours, and 55 minutes without consuming any coal power. Nevertheless, the storage capacity in Europe is finite. Capacity is limited to about 100 million BCM, or about 70 million tons of LNG equivalent. Still, this is a pretty massive storage capacity, representing equivalent to about 80% of European LNG imports in 2019. Consequently, we have seen European import growth tapering off during June and July, resulting in the storage curve converging towards the in injection level seen in 2019 and thus avoiding tank tops in the summer. Lower demand from European buyers has, however, resulted in large production cuts of flexible U.S. volumes and thus again rebalanced prices from the lows seen during the summer. I will review the production cuts in more details uh, at the end of the production, uh, presentation. So let's uh, look at the biggest import area, Asia, which accounts for about 70% of the imports and which comprise the traditional import markets in North Asia, as well as the growing markets in Southeast and Southwest Asia. Asia, together with Europe, imports about 95% of the global LNG production, with Middle East and Americas, primarily Latin America, being the two other import regions. The, Asia, the Asian uh, imports have during... Is there something wrong with the slides? So... Yeah, the Asian imports have during 2020 been fairly flat, growing about 3 million tons in the period January to July. At the beginning of the year, despite warm winter, imports into Asia grew pretty robust. But following the lockdowns, we have seen imports, particularly in Japan and South Korea, being on the low side. Chinese and Indian demand has, however, recovered quicker as lockdowns have eased, and these countries also benefit more from cheaper LNG as they have relatively less contractual obligation for imports linked to oil price. At the beginning of the year, there was also some positive sentiment around the phase one trade agreement between US and China, and folks were hoping for a rapprochement. US exports to China actually resumed in April, 
with three cargoes growing to seven cargoes in May. However, with the fallout from COVID-19 and the increased brinkmanships between Washington and Beijing seen lately, U.S. cargoes to China has tailed off again with only three and two cargoes in June and July, respectively. We also expect only two or three cargoes for August. Right now, it seems nothing will happen on the political side before November elections in the U.S., and China is now almost $40 billion behind their $200 billion commitment agreed in January, according to Sanders and Paul. So we have now explored the dynamics behind the swing buyer Europe, so let's explore the swing producer U.S. in a bit more detail. As we highlighted in our July webinar, U.S. producers are inherently more at risk for cargo cancellations due to their cost base and their flexible offtake contracts, where customers can typically notify a cargo cancellation 60 days prior to loading by paying their fixed tolling fee. This tolling fee is typically around $2.5 per million BTU. In contrast to the U.S. tolling project, the vast majority of LNG projects worldwide are vertical integrated oil and gas projects where the feed gas underpinning the LNG production is associated gas at very low economic cost, if any at all. Furthermore, the capital investments are generally sunk, which means the short-run marginal cost of producing the LNG is very low and for most projects range from $1.5 to $2.5 per million BTU. As the U.S. projects need to source feed gas in the market, although competitively priced U.S. gas, the cost base is thus higher, but also more flexible. So it's no surprise that these U.S. projects on the right-hand side of the cost curve are the ones with cargo cancellations. The project in the graph with the highest short-run marginal cost is the Tango FLNG project in Argentina, where the charter IPF has declared force majeure due to the effects caused by COVID-19. Despite the cargo cancellation, U.S.-based producers can thrive as they also have built-in flexibility in their business model with 10 year reporting compensation from cargo cancellation in Q2 of a whopping $708 million, and thus securing the company a net income of $197 million for the quarter. That said, <coughs> companies like Chenier tend to do better in a buoyant LNG market as income from trading activity is then typically higher. So, in that regard, increased feed gas deliveries to U.S. export plants lately should be positive for future export volumes. So, uh, floating storage. Um, during 2020, we have seen a very volatile levels of floating storage, which, uh, with a couple of spikes at period of times where we normally see very limited floating storage or any at all. We first saw a spike in floating storage in February following the Chinese lockdowns, but during the summer we have also seen a lot of cargoes floating around when prices were low and demand on the soft side. A level of 3.5 million tons floating equates to around 50 ships, so it's unprecedented that we see that many ships in floating storage during the summer months, and this is more a reflection of disruption and weak demand. As prices have recovered, the levels of floating storage have started to tail off again, and we are now back to the band of normalized levels, with Kepler marking third-in ships currently as floating. We are now approaching the winter months again, and we would expect a gradual build-up of floating storage again in line with the seasonal pattern. We also do expect fewer cargo cancellations from U.S., 
And it's likely that some of these cargoes will end up in floating storage, playing the contango time spread instead. In our Q1 presentation, we said that we expect floating storage would be massive, and we still expect this to be the case once we are getting closer to the peak consumption modes. Then, the final slide before summarizing today's presentation. This is an updated graph from the July webinar, where we've shown the monthly and cumulative export growth with associated cargo cancellations. At the beginning of the year, we were expecting about 25 million tons increased export in 2020, and the trajectory in the first quarters was ahead of the curve. During the second quarter, Asian demand faltered, and Europe initially soaked up these volumes by injecting cheap gas for storage. However, during June, July, and August, low gas prices have incentivized cargo cancellations, and export volumes have just started to decline. We do see July and August as the peak cancellation months and expect a gradual decrease in cargo cancellation and thus a recovery to some export growth in the fourth quarter, which will thus be supportive of freight demand. As of September, Platts reckons 165 U.S. cargos have been cancelled, and we expect around 270 cargos in total during 2020, of which U.S. cargos are probably making up around 200 of these cargos. The other exporter facing big cancellations are, is Egypt, which exported about 3.7 million tons in 2019, but have in 2020 only exported about half a million tons. We have also seen lower exports from Australia during July and August, while the Qatari exports are, however, remaining stable and are expected to be at similar levels as in 2019. There have been a lot of projections about growth levels following the COVID outbreak, and we estimate about 10 million ton increase in our webinar in July. Due to the higher U.S. cargo cancellation and also upward revisions of past cancellation, we now expect growth to be about 6 million tons for 2020, in line with the energy aspect's recent estimate. The worst-case scenario have, however, been avoided, with Poten expecting a fall of 6 million tons in April, which have now been revised to up to about minus 2 million tons. Please note it's important to differentiate between imports and export numbers. Export numbers is a better proxy for shipping demand. About 3 to 4% of exports are consumed by ships as boil of gas during transit and cargo operations, depending on voyage length and whether it involves floating storage, which also drives freight demand. Projecting 2021 exports is more difficult, as this will be very dependent on the winter weather, as well as the shape of economic recovery. When it comes to the winter temperatures, chances of El Nino are very slim. And actually, we've seen La Nina alert for this autumn and winter with 55 to 60% probability. La Nina weather usually means colder winter and should be positive for gas demand. When it comes to economic recovery, this is very much tied to how quickly a vaccine is brought to the market and thus enabling normality to return to everyday life. However, if growth and demand recover, there is a lot of growth potentially in the LNG market, both near term and long term, which should be supportive of freight markets. So then to summarize, 
the summary is actually exactly the same as in our webinar July, on July 2nd, with the only two changes. The first being that we have now secured 920 million in financing for new buildings, rather than 910 million due to the 10 million additional financing secured for Flex Optimus. The second change is that the second wave of COVID-19 has now become a reality in many places rather than a probability. With the recent fixtures, Flex LNG is well positioned with a mixed portfolio of fixed variable contracts as well as chips in the spot market, a market we think will improve near term as we expect substantial reduction in US cargo cancellation and increased floating storage. And for floating storage, we have the best chip as our ships are large with very low levels of boil-off from the cargo tanks, thus preserving maximum cargo deliveries. Near term, the winter temperatures and the shape of economic recovery are the two most important factors which will affect the shipping market as explained on previous slide. You could add politics to the mix with the November election, but we don't really expect a quick resolution to the disagreement between the two superpowers. With only three new buildings being ordered in the first half of 2020, we are back to basics in terms of new building contracting. The positive side of a weaker shipping market, coupled with extremely limited appetite by investors and banks to commit capital to the sector, is that new buildings usually dry up, which is the case for most shipping sectors these days. However, we do expect to see project orders going forward with some of the big projects sanctioned last year as well as the mega expansion by Qatar. Lastly, we would like to point out our strong balance sheet and financial position. We have secured the equity we need. We have a substantial cash position of 116 million at quarter end. And finally, we have now 920 million of financing in place for the remaining new builds. Our financial position our brand new fleet of first class operational performance puts us in a very good position to continue to build our company. There are about 160 old steam uh, ships and tri-fuel ships due for re-delivery under their existing charters for <coughs> the next five years. Tradewind is running a story today about Nigeria LNG considering renewing their fleet by getting rid of the steam, steam ships. There are still around 200 steamships in the market, or about 40% of the fleet, so we think this will create ample opportunities for us to continue to build our contract portfolio, ensuring a robust commercial and financial strategy. So that concludes today's presentation. Thank you all for listening, and let's open for some questions, Gino. Thank you. It's all the participants joined over the phone line. Should you wish to ask a question? You will need to press star and the number one on your telephone and wait for them to be announced. Should you wish to cancel it, you may press the pound or hash key. Once again, it's star and one for question. So our first question comes from the line of Gregory Lewis from BPIG. Sir, the line is now open. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, thank you and good afternoon, everybody. Um, Oystein, I guess my first question is, is around the dividend. Um, you know, clearly you guys have you know the balance sheet and the where you need where you want it to be you have you have you know the financing is basically taken care of so just kind of curious as as we think about the decision around the dividend this quarter would you kind of characterize it as more of more around the, the uncertainties around covid or the coronavirus or 
or is it more a function of, you know, we have vessels in the spot market and, you know, depending on how the spot market goes, that, that's going to impact our, our decision around the dividend. And, and while that might be the case, as, as the fleet gets fully delivered um, through the first half of next year, does that change how you think about the dividend? Yeah, good question, Greg, and good to have you on the line again. Um, yeah, I think when we decided to cut our dividend, uh, you know, this was uh, back in February when we suspended the dividend. We, of course, it was a lot of uncertainty, uh, and I, as you rightly point out, uncertainty was the, the key factor here. Uh, of course, we have had, you know, fairly high exposure to the spot market. Uh, so in that regard, you know, we have seen that Q2 and Q3 would be very tough quarters. Uh, that's no surprise for us. We uh, said this already in, 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 in February and repeated it uh, a couple times since then. So, so it's more about, you know, in that situation, uh, also, especially, you know, if you look back to March, you know, uh, the, the financial markets and credit markets uh, were in turmoil. Uh, you know, surprisingly enough, uh, we are now in August, and uh, S&P 500 is uh, back above the level we we had prior to the to to, to the COVID uh, situation. So, given you know both the uncertainty in terms of the financial market with our stock, uh, you know, doing pretty poorly, and uh, you know the amount of capital available, uh, uncertainty about. Uh, how we would perform in Q2 and Q3, we felt it was, you know, really no benefit of pushing out dividends. Uh, and, and, you know, for us, it would be better to, to be in a position to, to, to preserve the cash. Uh, I think uncertainty right now seems to be lower, especially if you look at markets. So, you know, at, at one, one stage, of course, we will do a reassessment of this. Um, uh, you know the companies in, in, in this kind of group with, uh, with our uh, affiliated uh, shipping companies, as I mentioned in the, the beginning, that, you know, we have a big, uh, uh, long track record for, you know, being shareholder-friendly and paying out excess cash uh, if we have that ability. You know, it's not like we're going to build empires here. You know, the, the, the free cash flow shall be paid out uh, if we have excess cash to, to shareholders. And, Right now, uh, you know, we are finished with Q2. It's not like Q3 will be a great quarter either. So, so once we are starting to make money again, then, of course, we will have a frank discussion about that with the board, and, and uh, it's a bit too early to predict the outcome of that. But uh, what I can tell you is, of course, uh, we, we will, of course, uh, pay dividend when we are making uh, money. Okay, and th thank you for that. Um, and then just... You know, clearly Europe has been, has you know, I guess dumping grounds not the right word, but that's where a lot of the LNG has been going, um, you know, just simply as there's really no other place to put it. Um, yeah, as, as, we, as we move through the winter, how do, we, how do you kind of think that that LNG storage in Europe, you know, how do we, how do we think that impacts the market? Is there the potential... Um, you know, and you touched on JK, JKM prices rising. Is there the potential that some of that LNG could, could return to the market if, if there's our opportunities in, in, in 
in Asia, or or is that once it's in that system, it it doesn't it tends not to leave? Just kind of a little curious around that. I think uh, if you if you look at the market right now, of course we have had a reduction in the floating storage, and the floating storage we have had over the summer hasn't been people playing a contango or playing time spreads. It's it's more been you know disruptions. Um, or actually, you know, you have to put it somewhere, as you mentioned, like a dumping ground. Right now, we have gone down to a more normalized level, and we expect this to start rising again, because now you can actually trade the time spreads where you are buying, let's say, September cargoes and selling, you know, the sailing uh, and then maybe floating a month and selling in to a much higher November uh, price. Uh, you know, the, we have had a situation where uh, LNG prices have been very low, uh, which have made this uh, kind of uh, time arbitrage difficult. Uh, it's becoming uh, open now again. Uh, so, uh, so we, we will, uh, you know, expect this to, you know, have a gradual build up. Uh, the last two years, we have seen around 35, 35 ships in floating storage. We think it probably will be higher this year. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of reloads, uh, I think that's the other big factor, usually, which is very positive for, for shipping markets. If you're starting to get spread between, between Europe and Asia, you could certainly see, you know, cargoes flowing out of Europe for reloads to, into to Asia. Uh, uh, you know, with uh, kind of northwest European uh, prices, uh, as I mentioned in the presentation, going back to $3.8, while JKM is at 4.2. It's still a bit narrow, the, the, the spread, to, to kind of make that trade work. But, uh, um, you know, it will be, of course, dependent on the winter. You know, a, a cold winter will create more demand. And then, of course, as I mentioned, the economic recovery is also playing its part there. But, you know, markets are becoming more normalized, and we see that uh, we, we have a big, uh, big rally in, in, in the gas prices, which are also driving up the freight rates uh, recently. Okay, perfect. Hey, thank you very much for the time. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Thank you once again for questions. Please press star and one in the telephone keypad. No further questions over the phone line. Please continue. Okay, seems like uh, we are kind of joined then for the for the day. I, I thank you everyone again for for participating in the presentation. Uh, we will be back in November with the Q3 numbers. Hopefully, uh, the COVID uh, focus will uh, gradually fade away, and and we are getting back to more normality. Uh, and, uh, and hopefully, back in, in November, you know, we will have pretty good uh, winter markets. So, see you all then. Okay, thanks.